Well, welcome to the Everyday Church for Everyday People. I'm Jared Webb. I'm an assistant pastor here. I've been gone for two weeks, enjoying the sunshine, but it's glad to be back in the tundra. Can I get an amen? Right? So, no, it's good to be with you all this morning, and we're getting back into our ER series where we're talking about extraordinary relationships. And if there was any conversation in this series, I think, that would put you in the ER, it would be this one, because we're talking about resolving conflict. Resolving conflict. What does the Bible have to say about the beef you have with your best friend who took a different friend on that bougie cruise and not you? What does the Bible have to say about the conflict with your coworker about how you want to go two different directions on the same project? What does the Bible have to say about the issue you have with your mother-in-law? What does the Bible have to say about resolving conflict? And you know, if we really were going to rate like difficult conflicts, wouldn't family conflict be at the top, right? I mean, there's just something that it just really gets under our skin about, you know, how your uncle always talks smack about your aunt, how your dad always seems to bring up a political argument that triggers your sister-in-law, how your mom always seems to make passive-aggressive comments about how you don't decorate your house like she would. Can we get real for a second? Because you can pick your friends. You can pick your fantasy football team. You can pick your nose. But you can't pick your family. You can't pick them. You got to deal with them. You'd much rather spend a week's vacation sometimes with your friends than with your family. Family conflict is hard. Friends are like jewelry. You just keep the ones around that you like. Family's a lot more like warts. I mean, you, you can get them removed, but if you do, it's going to be painful, and there's probably going to be a scar. So you've got to learn to love them, accept them who they are, love the imperfect them. And I think that if you can get family conflict down, you could get any conflict down. But I do just want to say, like, well, it's a good thing that there's only so much family conflict, right? You only have so much family. It's a good thing that church is a, more, a lot more like friends, right? Because we pick our church that fits our theology with the coffee creamer that we like. We pick our small group that we're going to be a part of that's doing the thing that we like to do. We join the serving team, and if we don't jive with the people on there, we could just leave, right? Except when Paul talks about the church, it sounds a lot more like family than it does like friends. So we're going to be in the book of Ephesians this morning and digesting about how what Paul teaches about resolving conflict in the family of God applies to all conflict. Because you see, the Ephesians did not have the sort of privilege you have, where if I didn't get along with the people at this church, 
then I could just go to this church down the road. Yes, there was some division in that time where people would argue about which teacher was best, but it wasn't like we had a plethora or we had Google to type in churches near me to be able to pick one that fit my preferences. You had two decisions. Either you figured out your differences with people or you left the faith. Either you figure out how to reconcile or you're not part of the church anymore. And so it was imperative for Paul, for us to be able to figure it out. Paul is teaching us to resolve conflict in the family of God, to treat conflict in here, in the church, as we do in the family. Because that is what makes conflict not in the family so much easier. Because you just get rid of it. You don't really resolve it. You just dissolve it. And so you move on. But family conflict, you feel forced to figure out because there is no other option. This is my family. And I want to talk to you this morning about how really, in some ways, all conflict is family conflict. I don't have to convince you that you need to figure out stuff in your own family. Culture even supports that, right? Figure it out, your blood. Paul talks about how we need to resolve conflict in the family of God because there is one Lord, there is one faith, there is one baptism. It doesn't matter if the person that you have conflict with leaves the church building and goes to another church building, you're still both Christians in the family of God who have unresolved conflict. And that's not right. And if we're going to expand upon that, if we're truly followers of Christ, you might be saying, well, okay, I guess non-Christians are off the hook with me then. No. Because if you're going to be truly Christ-like, then you need to recognize that you're all part of the human family. And that we are all created in the image of God. And even if someone does not ascribe to the same belief system as you, that person is loved by the Lord and created just as much as in his image as you are. And so you need to try to resolve conflict with them. And so in some way, all conflict, God wants you to treat as family conflict. You need to feel the pressure to resolve it because we family. Turn to your neighbor and say, we family. Right? You need to feel the pressure to resolve the conflict. Because I want to be frank for a minute. We grow up, we get facial hair, we have kids, we get degrees, we buy cars, and we still handle conflict like we're in high school. We still handle conflict like we're in elementary school. We still make light of what so-and-so posted about so-and-so on Facebook or what you posted about so-and-so on Facebook. And culture only encourages it, so we think that must be the mature response. But Christ wants us to resolve it. Christ wants us to treat everyone as family. And so before we get into this, I do just want to say is every conflict going to be fixed? 
on this side of heaven? No. But you are responsible for trying to resolve the ones that you are a part of. Again, it takes two parties to tango here. If the other person isn't willing to resolve it, that's not on you. But have you tried to resolve it? Have you had a posture where you've wanted to resolve it? That is the question. So we're going to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 through 27. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 through 27. This is the Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Ephesus. So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth. For we're all parts of the same body, that is the church. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. This is the word of the Lord. And so Paul is talking to the people of Ephesus. In this whole book, he's talking about how as a result of the salvation you have received through Jesus Christ, you have a calling to live a new way of life. And that new way of life is not just a way of life for you, but is intimately connected to your relationships that you have with other people. Because God did not come to save just you, he came to save us. He didn't come to save a person, he came to save a people. And so when we're transformed in the new self, when we put on this new way of living, Paul talks about, we need to let go of the division we have with people. We need to dwell together in unity to hold together in the bond of peace because your sin not only separated you from God, but it also separated you from other people. And so part of the redemption is Jesus Christ comes so that you can have a connection with him, yes, but he also comes so you can have the connection with people that you were always meant to have. Put off your old way of living. Love your neighbor as yourself. Have humility, gentleness, patience. Put away your differences. Figure out how to live with each other. This is why Paul talks about there being one body, one spirit, one Lord, one baptism. Quit thinking of reasons why you shouldn't have to get along with someone. You believe in the same God. You're filled with the Holy Spirit together, the same spirit. You were created by the same creator. You live the same faith. You're united. So learn to act like it. No longer be children, but learn to be spiritual adults. So I'm going to guide you through several practical steps, I think, that can help you to resolve some conflicts in your life. And before I say that, I do think it's important to note that I'm not just talking to the hot-headed people in the room, okay? Because it's tempting to hear these words I'm about to say and think, oh, this is for the person that tends to blow up on people. This is for the person who is in conflict a lot, but, you know, they just really take it too far. I'm also talking to those of you who avoid conflict. Because that's also bad. Right? You don't end up on the news. You don't get talked about at family dinners. But you're not helping the situation. 
When you pretend that nothing is wrong, when you pretend that you're not upset, you need to bring the stuff out into the open. So I'm talking to those of you who like conflict too much, and I'm talking to those of you who don't like conflict at all. Because the reality is, is there's going to be conflict, but there is a way to resolve it that is right, that is Christ-like. So let's walk through this. So number one, don't let it fester. Don't let it fester. Or as Paul says, don't let the sun go down on your anger, which seems like a weird saying because it's like, if, if your anger was watching a sunset, wouldn't it feel better? Don't let the sun go down on your anger. No, that's not what he's saying. Don't let the time pass, right? Keep a short list of accounts. If you have an issue with someone, then go and deal with it now. Don't let it sit there. Okay, you've all done it. You've all done it. You left something in the fridge too long. You saw the mold start to grow on it. And you thought, you know, maybe the other person in the house will take care of it. Or, you know, I'm just so tired tonight. I don't want to touch that. It's not that bad. I mean, I mean I'm not even this person that's supposed to clean out the fridge, am I? Right? And you leave it there. And then finally, when you have to clean it out, it stinks so bad that you got to make sure you take the trash out that day too. It's horrible. Don't let it fester. It's just going to get worse. Okay? So does this mean be legalistic about it? Does it mean that if you have an issue with someone that you got to go drive to someone before sunset to make sure that you figure this out? No. Okay? But... Stick with the principle, okay? Figure out your issues. The only excuses you should be making to push it back further are ones where it can be in a more ideal context, okay? Because, like, if you don't live with this person, then, yes, just wait until tomorrow when you're going to see them in person at whatever place you normally see them. Face-to-face is best. But then, know the temptation because... You're going to want to justify your way around it because you're going to start saying things like, well, you know, the humidity was at 35%, and it's really most ideal to have conflict at 65% humidity. And no, stop, okay? You just need to do it. The only reason you should be putting it off as short as possible is so you can have a better situation to talk about it in. If that better situation is days or years away, probably wrong. Okay? Don't let it fester. Say to your neighbor, don't let it fester. Okay. Now, listen before you jump in. Listen before you jump in. Okay? So Paul doesn't say this directly in this Ephesians passage, but I mean, James says it, the brother of Jesus, and I think it is foundational to what Paul is telling us, but I want to just read to you Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, James says, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry because human anger does not, does not produce the righteousness that God desires. You've been there. You've been frustrated because the person across from you doesn't sound like they're listening to you. They're not in their head. They're going, mm-hmm, but you're like, they're not, they're not catching They're not catching what I 
want to say. In fact, they're really just nodding their head long enough so that they can get loaded up for what they want to say. They don't care about what I want to say. And that makes you really, can we be honest, it makes you want to pop them in the pie hole. <laughs> makes you want to give them a George Foreman so they can get their two front teeth for Christmas. Right? It does. You don't like it when people don't listen to you. So why should you be that person? If you want people to listen to you, then you first have to be willing to listen to others. And so as a follower of Christ, you are a servant. Even if you think you are so right because you are omniscient and all-knowing, turn to your neighbor and say, you wrong. <laughs> you wrong. You, are not, you don't know everything. You are wrong about some things. If you want people to be open-minded to what you have to say, you have to be willing to be open-minded about what they say. It's just how it is. And when I say listen to people, I'm not just saying, you know, like, let them talk first. I'm saying restate what they say in different words to make sure that you're fully understanding. And if they correct you, that's fine because they're helping you to more understand. And you'll realize that if you just take the habit of this, you're going to find that a lot of conflict just stops here. Because you might have understood something. Can all the spouses in the room just get an amen? Right? How many, how many issues, fights have you had where you realize halfway through, wait a second, we're not really fighting about the thing I was, thought we were fighting about. We're good. We're cool. You want to see a movie? Right? A lot of stuff will get figured out if you are just willing to listen. Or vice versa. If they may have just misunderstood you. But regardless, if you make it a habit to listen, the people will already, too, their anger with you probably is going to dissipate because they're going to see you wanting to help figure it out, even if you disagree with them, all right? But, and it's not something that's normal in a society. And so people, people are like, whoa, wow, this person actually cares. So take some time, listen to people, Ask some clarifying questions, and then make sure that the thing that you've said to them that's restating what they've said, they're like, yeah, you're good to go. Then we're going to have to move on to the next thing if this doesn't solve the conflict. Okay? So number one, don't let it fester. Number two, you're going to <clears throat> listen before you jump in. And number three, you're going to speak the truth in love. You're going to speak the truth in love. Now, there are two ways to take this, okay? Because there are those of you in the room who really love to speak the truth for all the wrong reasons, okay? Let's be real. It's good. It's good that you like to speak the truth. I commend that. But, okay, even if you aren't a person who's prone to doing this, you ever, you ever get back, you know, after an argument and you think about, man, I should have really said this thing. It would have put them in their place. That is the sort of feeling, that gratification, that is not okay in speaking the truth in love. Because if you want to speak the truth to make yourself look good, if you want to speak the truth to make them feel bad, if you want to speak the truth to put them in their place, 
that is not speaking the truth in love. That's speaking the truth in self-love. Okay? So that's one side of the equation. The other side are the timid people who don't want to speak the truth at all because they're too afraid about what the person's going to feel. And you might think this is more loving, but you're withholding the truth that would set them free. And there is a way to say it that is loving. And it's going to hurt. But wouldn't you want someone to share the truth with you? Or do you want to live in the lies? Proverbs says, wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. It is good. And I don't know, maybe you've been there, but they have been significant, there have been significant times in my life where people love me enough to say, hey, you're out of line here. You're doing this wrong. And that wakes you up. Because when people are doing it in love, it motivates you to want to change. You can feel that. When you speak the truth and love to other people, you're doing it because you want them to become everything God has ever desired for them. Not so you can feel good about yourself, not so that you can exercise your authority, but because you want what is best for them. Speak the truth in love. Not because you want to put them in their place, but because you want what's best for them. So next, you're going to focus on community. Focus on community. You like to think that your conflict is just between that person and the other person. But you've been at the family gathering where Uncle Buck and Uncle Jedediah always have this argument that never stops and it always makes everybody uncomfortable. Your conflict that is unresolved is giving off secondhand smoke. It is. And you are affecting more than just the person you are in conflict with. You're affecting everyone else in that community, some more than others, but regardless, the fact that there is something that is not at peace within the community is affecting the whole community. And so you should not only feel pressured by God to resolve your conflict, but you should also feel like you want to resolve the conflict for the sake of the community. Because your issues are keeping us, not just you, from becoming everything God wants us to be. That's the reality. You are not in a vacuum. Your conflicts are affecting your family. Your conflicts are affecting the church. Your conflicts are affecting Grant County in some way, shape, or form. They are. And so if you want what is best for this community, all those circles of community, then you should resolve those conflicts. It's not just about you. It's not just about the other person. It's about everyone in the community. We should have unity. We should have the bond of peace. And then finally, you need to encourage others to do the same. Encourage others to do the same. Because 
it's really tempting. It's tempting to just encourage people to get riled up about their conflicts, to be a sounding board. It's really just a place for people to get ramped up more about unhealthy approaches to conflict. You need to speak the truth in love. First be an example, but then encourage other people to do the same thing. Because if only the people who got this letter, if only the people in Ephesus were to do this, then what's the point? We need, if we're going to become the community that God has wanted us to be, we got to hold each other accountable to resolving conflict. And so if, you, if someone comes to you and they want to be a sounding board, you, they want you to be a sounding board, that's fine. But you need to encourage them to go and seek this person out, to quit running away, to try to resolve it, no matter how dumb they think the other person is, but to learn to love the other person enough that they should seek to deal with their own issues. So five points. Number one, you're going to not let it fester. Number two, you're going to listen before you jump in. You're going to be quiet. You're going to try to comprehend what's going on. Number three, you're going to <clears throat> you're going to speak the truth in love. Number four, you're going to focus on community because it's not just about you. It's about everyone in that community. And number five, you're going to encourage others to do the same. And so I have a few more tips and tricks that I feel like are worthy of talking about this morning that weren't worthy enough, I felt like, of a whole point, but I feel like are helpful regardless. So we're just going to hammer them out real quick. Number one, I mentioned this briefly earlier, but opt for in-person. Opt for face-to-face. -face. It's always better than anything else. Okay? Second to that is FaceTime. Third to that is phone. After that, just wait. Don't text. I've seen too many text message arguments. Stop it. Learn to talk to each other face to face. And for those of you who are saying, well, I just think about things better in writing, that's fine. Write it out before you go, but still talk to the person face to face. That's why Jesus came down in the flesh to meet us face to face. Next, don't feel pressured to resolve everyone else's conflict. Don't feel pressured to resolve everyone else's conflict. That's not your responsibility. Avoid saying you. It's possible. You can go to people with the issues that you have and say something like when this happened instead of when you. See how that feels like I'm poking them in the chest more? It's possible to avoid the word you. You can say the same thing without doing that. Make sure you've eaten before and you've taken a nap. Simple. Just do it, okay? Realize you're responsible for your reaction, not theirs. Live at peace with everyone as much as you are able. Before you go and have the conflict, review it with the Holy Spirit. Give them a chance to be able to poke anything in you that might not be right, anything that you might need to be open to. And finally, don't bring someone with you to the confrontation until you have been willing to go one-on-one -on -one with this person, okay? It's biblical to take your issue to someone first by, the, by yourself, and then beyond that, you can bring someone, but don't let that be your first plan of attack. We gotta learn how to do this. Speak the truth in love. 
listen before you jump in. Don't let it fester. Focus on community and encourage others to do the same. And so I just want to make space for the Holy Spirit just to speak to you. What, in what way is he calling you to help resolve conflict today? Because all of us in this room are connected as one in some way, shape, or form. There's no denying that. Or you will be soon. What way is the Holy Spirit asking you to be an agent of peace, to treat everyone like family, to speak the truth in love so we can become everything that God has called us to be? Just listen to what he would say today. courage today. That you would make us people who are ready to just attack conflict as soon as it arises, to not let it fester, to resolve it quickly. Would you make us people who are servants, who are ready to listen to other people, to serve them with our ears? Lord, do you make us people who have the courage to be able to truly, in love, speak the truth to people so that they can become everything you've ever desired for them in this place and in this time? Would you help us to see beyond ourselves, Lord, to see the effects that our actions or inactions cause to the community, the residual effects? Help us to love not only the one across the table, but all of those around us. And Lord, too, I just ask that you would give us the courage to encourage other people on the same path, to create a community right here at Lakeview Wesleyan Church where we encourage others to resolve conflict in love. Give us a great heart for every single human being that we will come into encounter with. Thank you for the blood of the lamb that washes us clean and the glorious work of your resurrection, Lord, that enables us the grace to love people that we did not have before. Thank you, Lord. Make it to us in a powerful way today, palpable, so that we can be filled with compassion for every single person around us and be people who resolve conflict. In the name of the Father, the Son, in the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Amen. Good words, Pastor.